Louise Bedford here. Just before we kick off with today's show, I wanted to let you know that for one week only, you can get up to 84% off a selection of my most popular trading education products available through tradinggame.com.au. Make no mistake. Your financial future is in your hands. So check out the audios, videos, and study courses that I have available at tradinggame.com.au. Now's your chance to develop your skills as a trader for up to 84% off, but only for the next week. Let's get on with the show. Hi, I'm Caroline Stephen. Remember this scene from Apollo 13 with Tom Hanks and Kevin Bacon? Hey, we've got a problem here. What did you do? Nothing. I stirred the tax. Uh, this is Houston. Uh, say again, please. Houston, we have a problem. We have a main bus B undervolt. We've got a lot of thrust Not many people have had the opportunity to speak with a bona fide rocket scientist. But in today's episode of Talking Trading, we do. Perry Kaufman is a renowned algorithmic trader, but he began his career on the space program. He worked on the navigation and control systems for the Orbiting Astronomical Observatory, the predecessor of the Hubble Space Telescope as well as navigation systems for Project Gemini, which were later used for Apollo missions. Perry took his knowledge of aerospace and the path of missiles to identify buy and sell signals in the markets, and he evolved into an algorithmic trader. In today's interview on Talking Trading, which was conducted in the Bahamas just before Perry's sunset cocktail with his wife, who is also incidentally a high-level share trader, We talk about the space program. I couldn't resist quite a few questions about it. We hear some of the stories from the launches and why Perry has never watched the movie Apollo 13. We also talk about the markets and amongst other things, his views on trend following and moving averages, why currencies play follow the leader and his thoughts on breakout systems. There was no doubt that landing a man on the moon in the 1960s was a eureka moment for humankind. So let's start the show with Louise Bedford in Mind Power as she talks about eureka moments in trading. Have you ever had one of those moments in your trading career where everything fell into place? Suddenly you'd grasped what the market was trying to teach you and profits just rained from the sky. Look, if you haven't had one of those moments yet, then it is just a matter of time. If you hang around and if you put in the work. Those eureka moments are so precious. I thought it might be an interesting mind power to see if there's anything that we can do to encourage them to occur just a little more frequently in our everyday lives. We know what that feeling of discovery feels like. We know that when we've been trying to comprehend 
something that's complicated and hard and requires work and progression. We know how frustrating that can be, but the relief that comes from one of those eureka moments is sublime. Generally, for some time before we gain that insight, we feel frustrated and cranky and sometimes like a bit of a failure. That's actually got a name. We've talked about it here on Talking Trading before, and it's called the Kafka Effect. It's when we spend time going over and over and over old ground, willing ourselves to understand, but experiencing self-doubt. Some psychologists believe that this abyss of annoyance is the thing that helps drive us on towards that eureka moment. When your subconscious is pushed to restructure the problem and to see the issue through new eyes, suddenly possibilities emerge. And it's actually been linked to brain activity. It's very much bounded by the realms of science here. We have the left hemisphere of the brain, which is responsible for conscious processing of speech, among other things. And you've got your right hemisphere of the brain, which is involved in creative insights and subconscious processing. When you reach that aha moment, that eureka moment, Cognitive neuroscientists have been able to track this using MRIs and other imaging technology. Apparently, we will only experience that eureka moment when the right hemisphere has processed the information and provided an insight and transmitted this information to the left-hand side. And that way the solution can be put in discernible terms that you can articulate. So if you're in the abyss at the moment and all you're seeing is fog, hang on in there. Your trading eureka moment might be just around the corner. Hi, I'm Bob Pardo from Pardo & Company. I listen to Talking Trading and I enjoy it. Huffman, you began as a rocket scientist and evolved into a trader, strategy developer, and risk manager using algorithmic systems. You partnered with major brokerage houses, consulted to a central bank, and you've headed systems trading for very large proprietary accounts. You are a world-leading expert on algorithmic trading programs, and all the trading you do is algorithmic. You're also the author of 12 books including trading systems and methods. Perry Kaufman from the Bahamas. Hello and welcome to Talking Trading. Hello, Caroline. A pleasure to be here. Perry, as it's late afternoon over there, the first question I need to ask you, is there an umbrella in your drink yet? <laughs> well, at the moment, not really. I, I'm looking forward to it in, in the near future. Let me start with the first real question. Perry, you began your career as a young man in your 20s, as a rocket scientist, working on the space program. You worked on the predecessor of the Hubble Observatory and then on navigation for Gemini, later used for Apollo missions and subsequently military reconnaissance. Perry, what's the connection between the world of rockets and trading programs? <laughs> well, actually, that's a very interesting question. When we were working in aerospace, we did have some free time 
here and there. And it turned out that we used exponential smoothing, which some people will be familiar, similar to moving averages, in order to determine the path of a missile. And we use that technique to give us buy and sell signals in stocks. So in our free time, we traded stocks using this technique. It's really probably the earliest uh, example I can think of of people using trends to trade stocks. It's not rocket science, but it almost is. It is rocket science. (laughs) (laughs) But honestly, in those days, which was in the late 60s, uh, the markets were so much smoother, less noise, less participation. You could, that's why Donchin, for those familiar with the history of technical analysis, Donchin was successful using a 10-day moving average because the prices were so smooth, any moving average worked. I mean, they, they absolutely do not work now, but it tells you the difference in the nature of price movement. Why have the markets changed so much? It's participation. Uh, oddly enough, Some people would think that the more people participate, the smoother it gets because one buyer offsets the seller and the price goes smoothly in some direction, but it doesn't happen that way. You have so many people entering and exiting for completely different reasons, whether it's taking money out of their pensions, whether it's just buying or selling because they're trying to make money, whether it's high frequency trading, that really causes noise. And The increase in noise, I've measured the increase in noise over time. And what it does, if you're a trend follower, which is trend following is the most common way of using technical analysis. If you're a trend follower, that noise makes it difficult, more difficult to identify when the trend starts and when the trend ends. You you need to use longer trends when there's noise and you get less profit out of it because you get into the trade later, you get out later. So the net profit you make from it tends to be a smaller part. It's still there. I want to talk about trend following in a minute. That was actually my next question. But I just wanted to go back to the world of rockets for a moment because you said something that's so amusing. You say that you find it very funny that governments ask to have 10 decimal places in their index funds but you guys managed to get a man to the moon with only two decimal places. <laughs> That's right. We were also the people that caused the uh, Y2K problem oh. because, because computers were so small. We didn't have room to put the one and nine or the, f- the first two digits of the year because it would take up so much room when all of the years started with one and nine. So we just didn't do it. <laughs> Actually, when when we programmed this uh, navigation for Gemini, we had a 4K computer. Now, people probably can't even conceive of what 4K is because your telephones have multiple gigs, 128 gigs. We had 4,000 words to program the navigation. Um, it is really not much. And we had two computers, backups. And and the astronauts that went up were so good, they knew that things could break down. So they had a toolkit with them. And they were prepared to fix the computers with a screwdriver and a, and a pair of pliers. Incredible. 
would you have gone to the moon <laughs> with that risk? I, I never would. But we have such fabulous people that they would take whatever risk necessary to go. It's just a remarkable time to be doing this. In that period of time in your life, what was one of the scariest, most worrying, heart-stopping moments? Oh, I never, well, I was present at some of the launches. And I, and one launch was aborted because some moron put a Coca-Cola bottle on top of the printer, I'm sorry, the reader. And card readers read these cards that had punches in them at the time. And the reader vibrated and as it read. And the, the soda gravitated its way from the top of the reader and fell off into the reader, causing it to malfunction. And the launch was aborted, you know? Goodness. But, but in general, I personally found it really, really scary because I thought that the chance of going to the moon and coming back was not 50-50. Chance of getting there was good, but landing and breaking a strut or breaking something that prevented them from taking off again was such a high probability that it just bothered me no end. I never saw, what was it, Apollo 11, the movie, because it was like reliving the launches, and I had no interest. <laughs> anyway, there. so that's my history. Being there, done that a long, and time got, long time ago. So how did you make the shift from rocket scientists to the markets? Well, at some point, we thought that the security in the work we were doing was getting a little overwhelming. We had computer expertise. And in 1970, my one of the fellows in the company that I was at and I decided we would go out on our own and start our own computer company. And we started by, by uh, programming Medicare reimbursement forms. Had I known, I would have stayed in that field. Um, but but um, we did that, and then somebody came along uh, with a problem in options, and they had gone to IBM, and they had gone to places. IBM just wasn't interested in a research project of that sort, which had very little money potential for them. So they looked around, and we had mathematical background, and we had knowledge of the stock market. And this was options, close enough for government work. And so we we got this job trying to hedge options positions on the London Exchange. And we did that, and we had some success at it. And that from that followed some other investors that wanted to have a, a, a portfolio of moving averages, which were in commodities, because commodities were the place there was a lot of leverage, a lot of money to be made, volatility was good. And so we took that job and we had a deal with this first big investor that we would get paid 50% of the money that we made in excess of what he made. And it seemed like a really good deal. And we hit a wonderful market. We must have made 200% in the year that it was 1973. There was a Russian wheat deal, commodities went through the roof. Unfortunately, he made the same amount of money <laughs> doing his simple stuff. So we wound up making not much out of it, but we learned a tremendous amount. And we took that and we created a fund after that. And that got us started 
in the business. Okay, so most of our listenership are trend followers, and so are you. And so are, in fact, as you say, 70% of all hedge funds. Perry, why are you a trend follower? Oh, <laughs> well, first, let me be clear. I am mostly a trend follower. I, I trade patterns. I trade arbitrage. You want to be, you want to understand the market and understand its opportunities. But trend following is such a basic tool that I, I had said, I think 70% of all trading done on the exchanges are trend following. And for good reason. Trend following is based on an economic, a, a solid economic factor. Usually it's interest rate policy that, that the uh, central banks, when they decide that they need to raise rates uh, because they need to hold down inflation or reduce speculation, they raise it incrementally, as, as they have done in the U.S. for the past year or two. They raise it a quarter of a point. They look to see what's happening. They wait a few months. They raise it another quarter of a point. That creates very smooth trends in interest rates in the shorter end of the curve because the long end tends to try to anticipate what they're going to do. The short end stays much with government policy. So interest rates, you'll find at, as a trend follower, investing in interest rates will be the core profit that you'll get. And long-term trend following is, is called macro trend following. And it can be represented by moving averages between, say, 40 days and 120 days. With the average macro trend trader about at 80 days. So an 80-day moving average more or less represents what the industry is doing. And if you track that for interest rates, you will find that most months it makes a pretty good profit. And that profit diversifies your portfolio. It's almost the basis for holding your portfolio together. Not, not that it doesn't have a couple of problems here and there. Uh, when, when rates turn from coming down, which they did for 30 years, to going up, you're going to take a loss. As, as it turns, you're going to give back some of the profit as you set your new position. So the problem with the long-term trend following is that it does have a lag, and that lag will cause uh, losses when the trend turns. But it doesn't happen very often. So the next thing that rates affect are currencies, because money moves to the uh, currency that has the highest interest rate net of inflation, assuming there's no political instability. So the, the Fed indicates that it may not raise rates, the dollar will weaken. Right. And, and it also reflects on other currencies because th there's a lot of, of uh, uh, follow the leader in currencies these days. In order to attract money, if the U.S. raises rates, other countries have to raise rates as much as they can. Otherwise, the money will flow to the U.S. Ah. And it flows into bonds and it flows into the stock market. So to be competitive, other countries have to seriously consider how much they can raise rates without hurting their own market. 
And then when you get to equities, equities are a whole different item. There's so much, it's so complicated with whether the economy is good or bad, what the balance of trade is, uh, what the interest rates are, that that uh, you can stimulate the uh, stock market by lowering rates. You have to lower it quite a bit. And you can dampen it by raising rates. You saw how long it took recently for the Fed to keep raising rates before the stock market started to head down a couple of months ago. Yes. The stock market resists it, and the Fed has to keep doing it until it finds the tipping point. Uh, and now that it's done that, it, and the market has recovered, it said, okay, we won't do it now for a while. We'll let you recover. So it's a, it's a give and take, but the stock market is a much more complicated uh, problem. And it has the most noise of any market. So if I'm trying to be a trend follower, I will make the most money in short-term interest rates, which is the smoothest, and medium-term interest rates like the 10-year. I will make the least money in the stock market because it's the noisiest. You need the longest-term trend, and it doesn't normally have very long trends. What we experienced with this long bull market was very unusual. Now it's back to where it normally is, flopping up and down. So, so in the monthly profile, a trend follower will make the most money in interest rates, next in currencies, least in the stock market. You say that it's not the trend method, it's the markets you choose. You may have already touched on this. Why? Yes, I'm so glad you asked that. <laughs> it, it's actually true. There are different methods of identifying the trend. You can have a moving average, you can have a linear regression, you can have an exponential smoothing, you can have a breakout system. They will all make money uh, when, the, when the prices trend. It's all up to the prices. The prices keep going up. You get on the right side of the trend no matter what method you use, and you make money. Uh, the difference between all of these methods is the risk. The moving average has a lot of little losing trades. It's called a conservation of capital method. It loses, it if it gets into a trend and if the trend changes direction, it gets out quickly and goes the other way. So it takes small losses. When the trend continues, it gets on and may hold the trade for a long time. So it has a lot of small losses and a few big profits. Breakout system, which is my favorite, has the opposite profile. It, it goes long on a new high, and it won't go short until it gets a new low. So if you have a 60 or an 80-day breakout system, you have the difference between the 80-day high and the 80-day low, which could be gigantic. So you could be taking a very big risk. However, Compensation for that is that it allows the market to flop around anywhere it wants in between that high and low without getting stopped down. So while a moving average system only has a 30% chance of a good trade, a breakout system has a 55% chance of a good trade, but with higher risk. Now, you can't fool the system, you can't fool the market. 
if I were to plot the profits from these systems over the same markets, over the same time period, they would, one would sometimes do a little better, one would sometimes do a little worse. In the end, they would have made about the same profit. And the risk would have been about the same. Because even though the moving average takes all these little losses, it can have seven losses in a row. Seventy per, It only has a 30% chance of getting a profit. And to add those seven losses in a row, it becomes very close to the loss of a breakout system where you sit and hold it while the market flips up and down. So there's, there's no way to reduce the risk of a system. One of the important parts about being a successful trader is that you need to understand and accept the risk. If you can't accept the risk, you can't make money. The point is that all of these systems have a different risk profile, a different profit profile, but all the risk is going to be the same in the long run. So the secret of success in being a, a trader is to know what the risk is going to be, be prepared for it, and accept it. You can't really eliminate the risk no matter how hard you try. You can try stop losses. You can try profit taking. You can try all sorts of techniques. You can't get rid of the risk. Perry, I'm screwing my face up because I have a question on risk and it's the funniest question I've got in my script and I'm so upset that I won't be able to use it now. Propelling a man rocket into space by the controlled ignition of huge amounts of fuel is obviously a risky business. You're a man. (laughs) You know. You're a man who knows about risk. Let's talk about risk in the markets. He certainly does. I always think that we are in the space program so primitive. We are putting people into space by putting them on this large fuel cell and lighting a match underneath it. <laughs> it it just seems so primitive to me. How different is that from the Chinese setting off a rocket? But I will say Elon Musk being able to recover the first stage and have it land on a moving platform in the ocean is absolutely remarkable technology. A client of yours said if they could was there some way they could increase their profits but eliminate all risk that's right they would accept a really small profit if they had no risk well (laughs) yes i guess you could buy a u.s bond and do that yeah it's just not one of the options if you want to make more money than the risk-free return you have to take more risk and stay tuned for next week's episode to hear part two of perry kaufman's interview always if you like this show please be sure to tell a friend this is super important because word of mouth is the most powerful way that people can get in touch with us you can also subscribe on apple podcast and make sure you give us a big fat five-star review because it helps people find us you'll also notice that talking trading doesn't use sponsors and barely advertisers this is because Chris Tate and Louise Bedford fund this show from tradinggame.com.au. If you'd like to get Louise's five-part free e-course, register at tradinggame.com.au. So until next week, happy trading. 
The views represented on Talking Training are general in nature and do not take into account your objectives, financial situation or needs. Before acting on any of the information, consider its appropriateness in regards to your own situation.